0: Morning, everyone. I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name's Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And I'm glad you're here with us. Kyle mentioned it. Um, We talked about it earlier. If you're a guest with us, we'd love to get any information that you uh, want to give us. We would love to just follow up with you this week, pray for you, um, answer any questions you may have. Uh, If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. I know the front of the bulletin says Acts chapter 6, but in light of... um, Uh, our weekend that we experience in this area. Um, uh, We're going to change course here. Um, Mark chapter five, there's Bibles on the sides of the tech booth. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can uh, open that right now and find our live event and track along with the scriptures and the sermon notes um, all of this kind of thing. So that lets you know that that's going to happen. Um, also, uh, would like to just take a moment as a church family, um, kind of as a sign of unity together, uh, pray for, um, our area, pray for the stuff that happened this weekend, um, on Friday and, uh, pray for the churches down there. So if you've got somebody next to you that looks like they'd hold your hand without punching you, maybe grab their hands and, uh, let's take a moment to pray together. Can we do that? In your word, Father, you promise us that when we don't know how to pray, your spirit will pray for us. And sometimes that feels like a groaning that is too deep for words. And I think some of us feel that right now. Um, And so Holy Spirit, pray for us. Help us to know how to pray. We've used words like unfathomable, we've used words like not again, we've used um, any number of things to try to express the grief and the hurt and the fear and the um, um, anger and the frustration that goes along with all of this, Um, the sense of loss and being lost. And so um, we're bringing all of that to the table today. And uh, putting it in your lap, Father, Uh, because you're a good God who loves to hear from your children. And we're saying these are burdens that are too great for us to bear. Uh, Psalm 68 says it is you instead who daily bears us up. So we're asking God that you would bear us up today. Um, Many are sitting in churches today, uh, just a few miles south of us. And Jesus, they've gathered with your people and they haven't been in church and who knows how long. Uh, I pray that you would physically, through the church, wrap your arms around them and embrace them. Um, God, some were sitting in church last Sunday and are sitting in church today, but not with loved ones. And I pray, God, through the church, you would wrap your arms of comfort around them. Uh, And God, let the word of God go forward. Spirit, would you speak and um, let the truth ring down there. And um, for us, as we gather and we think and some of us come heavy, some of us come maybe less affected than others, but uh, we all come today needing to hear from you. So, Father, put Um, your word through Jesus on display for the sake of your people and Holy Spirit bring the kingdom to bear on us today we need it speak with clarity and with power and don't let us be the same and we pray in Christ's name and for his sake and everybody said amen amen um so uh we're gonna Take a minute and uh, a few minutes together and l- look at Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, this quote just about sums up the sermon and uh, give you something to noodle on here. Frederick Bickner was a pastor and this is what he wrote. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. And, I mean, we can, that's our weekend, would not it? A royal wedding, beautiful. And terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. So today, I want to think for just a few minutes about uh, how we find hope um, after tragedy. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Just pause. Matthew's version of this in Matthew chapter eight says, "And the people, the the, the person who was coming out to meet, was so fierce that people wouldn't come by." Verse three. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus said, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Just in case you didn't get that, not not a single demon at work here, but Legion, many. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. A great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Here's the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. Um, Think for just a moment about finding hope after tragedy uh, with these four thoughts. Number one, uh, I think the presence of Jesus makes all the difference. Um, What I mean by that is here in this story, uh, Jesus goes where he shouldn't go. Now, um, what I mean by that is, if you cross the Sea of Galilee there, and you go to the other side, and you're landing in the area of the garrisons there, and they're hosting—I mean, they've got herds of pigs. These are Gentile people. Everybody with me on that? Nice Jewish boys, don't go play where there are pigs. And so Jesus, not not um, mistakenly, uh, his GPS didn't get him off, his Google Maps didn't steer him awry. Here, instead, uh, he went exactly where he was intending to go, but it was exactly where he shouldn't go because he's a nice Jewish man. In fact, if you're a rabbi, you really don't want to go where a bunch of Gentiles are. You're a teacher. You really don't want to do that because somehow they'll like get on you or something. Their Gentileness will rub off on you and you don't want want that to happen. So what we find here is that the presence of Jesus shows up in places that it shouldn't be. And when I say shouldn't be, we put that in air quotes, right? He shows up where he shouldn't go. I'm so grateful for that because I have places in my life that Jesus shouldn't be, but there I still find him. I find myself in places where I shouldn't be, but yet I still see Jesus there. I'm grateful for that because the presence of Jesus is the place from which we can draw hope. And um, wherever we go, the places we should go and the places, quote, we shouldn't go, end quote, guess what? Jesus is there. We find him there. Secondly, he also um, not only... um, goes where he shouldn't go, he enters into places where other people fear. Again, Matthew's gospel says that uh, the, the, the guy came running out of the tomb, he was such a fierce person that nobody would pass that way. Jesus looked at that and stepped right into it. Where people withdraw because of fear, Jesus steps out into that. He does it. He, and, and furthermore, he willingly, he willingly steps into our chaos. I mean, how much chaos is marked by this story? A lot. And what do we find that Jesus steps into our chaos? That's such a great moment for me to think through that and to think about that, that he goes where he, quote, shouldn't go, right? He, um, he, he um, goes to places where fear reigns and other people withdraw. He still steps into that. And uh, that he willingly steps, not, not accidentally, willingly steps into our chaos. You know why? Because I need that. Anybody with me on that? They might have chaos in their life that they need Jesus to step into and make sense of. The presence of Jesus and the hope that comes with him makes all the difference. Um, There are some things that obviously fight against this. Um, We see this in the story, one of which is a universal brokenness. We don't have to look very far, do we? Geographically or time-wise to see that the world is a jacked-up place, man universal brokenness. Let's think about our story here. The disciples themselves, they, it says in verse one, they came to the other side. So not just Jesus, but his followers too. The disciples themselves, they had it all together and always got everything right. Correct? Am I right about that? No. Uh, They're like you and like me. They get it in a moment and completely flub it in another moment. So chapter four, Jesus tells a parable and they look at Jesus and they're like, Hey man, what's that mean? Because we're... It's over our head. Jesus goes, oh, guys. And he explains a parable. Chapter five comes along, and they're like, oh, this is kind of cool to watch. Chapter six comes along. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Um, hey, there's all these people. You give them something to eat. And they're like, Then he goes and he walks on water and they say, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. And it's precisely because they called, they misidentified Jesus precisely because it says they didn't understand the loaves and the fish that Jesus is actually in charge. And how many times do we misidentify Jesus because we don't understand what he's done before in our lives? So the disciples are broken. Yeah. Everybody good with that? The man that we're talking about here in the story, he's broken. He's broken. I don't know what happened in his life. The Bible certainly doesn't tell us, and speculation doesn't really help. But I don't know what happened in his life that his world was so opened up to darkness that not a demon, but a legion of demons kind of took over his life and his world where he cracked the window and all of this darkness came rushing in. I have no idea what happened, but we know that he was broken. We, we know that he was struggling with... Um, a, Things like bondage and things like um, uh, pain. And he was medicating himself with um, what I describe as something like faux freedom. Fake freedom, right? I mean, he he had shackles on, but he would break them off. And he had chains bound, but he would break them off. But does anybody think that just because he didn't have chains on that he was actually free? Nobody thinks that. And and he had this, this faux... This fake relief. He would cry from the mountaintops and they would find him cutting himself with stones. Why do people do that? Why have some of you done that? Because you think that the physical relief of the pain is actually better than the the, the pain that you're feeling on the inside. The, the, The pain that you feel in your body is better than the pain that you feel in your soul. But does anybody think that that's actually relief? It's fake freedom and it's fake relief. He's still very much in bondage and he's still very much in pain. That man was broken. The universal broken, his disciples are broken, man is broken. Can we talk about the crowd watching this for just a second? Were they broken? Yes. How do I know that? Three different times. They say, "Hey, but what about the pigs? The pigs you got a guy who just got delivered from a legion of demons sitting at the feet of Jesus, now clothed and in his right mind, the Bible says. And they go, but the pigs. You talk about a misprioritization of their world. Then, furthermore, at the, towards the end of the story... Uh, Look down, if you will, uh, in verse um, 16. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. We would rather have our comfort than your presence, Jesus. That's broken. There's a universal brokenness in the story. And that fights against Understanding that Jesus is our hope. But, and that's not all. I mean, we, we can all look at that. We can all look at our world and say, yeah, that's true. But that's not all. Um, there's another element to this. Oh, well, let me just pause before we get there. The, the reason why it's important to say these kinds of things out loud is because before people move forward... Before people can actually make genuine progress, they have to embrace this sense of brokenness. They just have to embrace it and say, yep, that's who I am. They have to own what is theirs to own, and they have to name what needs to be named that wasn't necessarily theirs, but indeed it's part of their story now they got to own what's theirs, and then they got to name it, right? Hey, here I am. I'm busted up. I'm broken. I need some help. What's your name? It's Legion. Okay, so you're you're owning what you need to own, and you're naming what you need to name. Owning my stuff, naming the things that have come into my life that aren't necessarily my fault but are still part of my story. Before people actually genuinely make progress towards freedom, towards life, towards um, a a, a life that is stained by hope, they have to own this. they got to own it. You got to own their brokenness. The, the the other thing that fights against this is not only universal brokenness, and we can't release that personal responsibility, but there is a radical evil out there. This is not uniquely popular today to talk about, and especially in our neck of the woods where, you know, we're... St- scientists and analysts, and this this is true of who we are, but there's a radical evil in the world. And what I mean by that is this, as good, I mean, and God is fully good, and just as he is fully good, so Satan is fully evil and wicked. They're not, they're not co-equals, okay? It's not like they're, they're peers on the power level or anything like that, but just as God is good, so Satan is evil. Just as God is light, so Satan is darkness. Just as God is the truth, so Satan uh, is a liar. So again, we don't necessarily like to talk about these things, but the truth is that there is a radical evil out there. And sometimes, let me just say it this way. How many of you have looked at a news story before, not even necessarily from the weekend, but you saw it and you thought, what kind of, who, who does that? And I think in that moment, the church needs to reclaim kind of language of evil. I'm not saying there's a demon under every rock. You pick it up and, oh my goodness, there's... What I am saying is this. Not every piece of fruit that comes off the tree can be labeled as demonic. But we can trace all things back to a single root. Of the devil at work in our world, a radical evil that really genuinely exists and has influence in our world. And I think we need to reclaim that. Here's some of the things that the Bible says about this. This is John 8:44. You are Jesus is speaking here. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is how much truth in him what's it say? None. There is no truth in him. When he lies he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the Bible describes the devil as a murderer and a liar. So anytime we see something that looks like that, we know that that's where this is the kind of thing that is is coming out of the devil, that he's a murderer, excuse me, and a liar. Second uh, John 10 verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So you've got Jesus with life and life abundantly juxtaposed with the thief's uh, the thief's um, uh, agenda to steal, kill, and destroy. He's talking about the devil there, and so we've got a murderer and a liar. That's his character. What is his agenda to steal, to kill, and destroy? And when we see these things happening, are we, as a people of God who who believe in a spiritual realm that exists, not just the physical, can say, "Man, this is an evil thing that has been perpetuated here." Last one, First Peter eight. Excuse me, five, verses eight and nine. Be sober-minded, he says. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, he's against us. Don't ever think otherwise. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, he says, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He's a liar and a murderer. That's his character. He is. Uh, his agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. And his strategy, if you will, is to pounce like a lion. Sometimes when we're not expecting it, or maybe when we're least expecting it. There's a very real evil in the world, and I think we need to reclaim that language. So our response to that, I was thinking about this, just pastorally speaking. How do we, how do we respond to that? Well, so, so the response is to guard our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4 says it is from the heart that come all of the issues, the very well of our lives. So guard it. Guard our hearts. Put, put things in place that, that, that keep the enemy uh, in his, his nature and his um, agenda and his strategy. Kind of keep that at bay in our lives. We need to do that. It's not that we can prevent all of it, but we can certainly guard our hearts and, and prevent ourselves from opening up um, to, to his plan for us and his agenda for us. So and, and, you know, guard your hearts. Be careful about the things that you see. Be careful about the things that you listen to. Be careful about the things that you entertain in your mind. Uh, Paul talks about taking every thought captive according to the obedience of Christ. Be careful about what shows up on your computer or what shows up on your phone or wherever it may be. Be careful about those things. Guard your hearts. And listen, moms and dads, grandparents and, and, and others in here who have influence over kids, not just your own heart. You need to guard the hearts of your kids as much as is possible. you got to watch over them as much as is possible. You monitor yourself as to what you take in. You need to monitor them as to what they take in too. What are they seeing? What are they doing? What are they listening to? What games are they playing? What what kind of things have influences on their life and normalize things and glorify things that aren't necessarily worth normalizing and certainly aren't worth glorifying? A friend of mine called me, actually left me a voicemail this morning at about 6.30. There's a group of us pastors who somewhere between 5.30 and 6.30 in the Sunday morning, we text one another praying for you, cheering you on, he called me this morning he said, hey, here's I'm praying for you and Here's something I, you know, I've been thinking about. Chuck, Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, anybody ringing any bells? Chuck Colson. He was uh, special counsel to Richard Nixon. Watergate he got thrown in jail as a result of all of this. Became a believer in Jesus uh, in, uh, in prison. When he got out, started um, prison fellowship. Um, and has seen thousands upon thousands of incarcerated men and women come to know Jesus as a result of that. Uh, he was a force for good. Jesus took him home uh, a few years ago. And uh, he was doing some reflecting uniquely on Florida. He said this uh, in one of his books. He said, you know, um, I, I looked around Florida, in the prisons in Florida, and there were no Jewish people, hardly any Jewish people in prison in Florida. For the amount of Jews that are in Florida, you would think that there would be an appropriate amount of population on the inside as well as on the outside. I, I, and then I got to thinking about it and I got to looking around. I think it's because Jewish parents, in particular Jewish dads, bless their sons so that their sons don't have to go look for a blessing elsewhere. Maybe we just need to let that soak in. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, guard the hearts of your kids, but do more than just guard. Bless them so that they don't have to look for blessing elsewhere. There's a radical evil in the world. And he will be so glad to use the need for approval from the the need for approval of a child who's not getting it from uh, a parent and leverage that for some sort of evil and wickedness in the world. It's important to say these things out loud in a setting like this because one of the things that the enemy would love for us to do is just forget that he's there. And when we do, he's like a lion and that will pounce. There's radical evil in the world. But but lastly, there is a single hope. There's a single hope. If we're gonna find hope, we gotta find it in the right place. It comes from the presence of Jesus and there's a single hope. And what is that hope? That Jesus is in the business of changing people's lives. I mean, th- this guy here, he can't fix himself. The guy in our story here, he can't fix himself. And, and society can't help him. They, they tried, but they can't help him. Furthermore, um, he can't overcome evil by himself. And more laws don't actually help him overcome that evil either. What would he do with the chains? Just rinse them apart. More chains, more wrenching. I am a huge believer, count me in, on good laws that make good sense, yeah? But the solution to this guy's problem and the solution to most of our problems in the world today are not restraining evil, which is what laws do. It's replacing evil in the heart with the transforming power of Jesus. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. The only person that could set him free and give him life, that could overcome the darkness and let him live and uh, in, in, in bring order, if you will, to his chaos was Jesus. That's the single hope that we have. So, today, if you came and you're looking for hope, I I point you there. I point you to Jesus. I point you to Jesus and say, if you want to find hope, not only for your life, your situation, your world, your culture, your school district, whatever it may be, Jesus is the place to find hope. Only he can do that kind of work that needs to be done inside of you. Only Jesus is in the business of changing people's life. Only Jesus Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. How do you look out on the world like that? How do you do that? You do it when you receive hope. And if you've never given your life to Christ and received the hope that is in him, today can be the day that you turn from your sin and are embraced by a Savior. I'd love to talk to you about that in just a second. If you came this morning, you're like, man, I'm just heavy from all the stuff that went down this week. I just, I need some time to think, to pray, to put my, renew, if you will, my hope in Jesus. We will have time to do that. We're going to sing in just a minute. We'll open up the altar, let people come pray as they see fit. But that's not, that's not exactly where the story ends. And I want to leave you with this single thing before we stand. It's not just receiving hope. I mean, some of us need get a fresh dose up in here. I mean, we just need it. That's true. But it's not just receiving hope. What did Jesus do with the guy? Hey, Jesus, I want to come along with you, right? No, you can't come. That's kind of mean, Jesus. You just delivered the guy. Get on the boat. Come on, come on. It'll be nice. What did he say to him? Verse 18, 19, excuse me. And he did not permit him but said to him instead, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Church family, look at me. There's a world out there that needs to know how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And if you've received hope, Jesus is missioning you to be agents of hope in the world. It's not like our world is full of hope it's not like everybody's overflowing these days with hope that they, we get to be agents of hope in the world so if you're here and you need to receive it let's receive it but let's every one of us walk out of here as agents of hope in the world go tell go home tell your friends what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you let's pray uh, Father, thank you for a few minutes here. Uh, God, I pray that you would just help it make sense to folks, wherever they are, however they're landing, um, however they're experiencing this. Just help it make sense. Um, Spirit, would you do as you see fit in the lives of the folks here today? And God, I pray that um, just, just like we pray, as you have ministered to them, Um, we wouldn't be the same. Don't let any of us be the same. God, there's a world out there that needs the hope of Jesus. Help us to be agents of that hope. Whatever that looks like. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.